Hey guys, welcome back to the show where we discuss the truth of your psychology. The truth of what's going on, even if it's uh, before sunrise. So we got the, the mood lighting in here. So if you uh, notice that I started to put my moves on you, that's why. Yes, the truth of your psychology, what is going on with it. Uh, the truth that nobody knows, no psychologist knows, no therapist knows, and they don't know that they don't know. Epistemologically, they're so off base that they don't even know that they don't know. Yeah, truth. I really like, I mean, who doesn't like that word truth, right? Not rules. Not rules for your psychology. Not rules for how your psychology operates, but principles. Principles. Fundamental, you know, first principles of, of just what's going on with your psychology. Then however you want to use that information, you know, that's up to you. We're not going to come up with 12 rules for life as much good as Jordan Peterson has done. You know, he's getting uh, young men to read Jung. Well, I think he was for a while. I don't know if that's... I think young men started to read Jung and get four paragraphs in and go, oh, is this... what's he talking about? You will understand that eventually if you follow the Jung reading list in the correct order, but uh, a lot of young men, they'll just jump into Ion. I've, I've heard of that happening. That's the first Jung they've ever been exposed to. They jump into Ion. No, that's the last. That's the last thing you need to be reading. But hey, you know, a bunch of... A lot of people know about Ion now. I, I wouldn't go to a CrossFit class. I have been a couple, couple just to try it out, uh, just to make sure it's as stupid as I thought it was going to be. But I think CrossFit is great because now if I go to my local 24-hour fitness, there is a, an entire row. I mean, it's great symbolism. It's like the backbone of the gym now, entire row of uh, the, the, these racks and rigs with bumper plates and, and lifting platforms, and everybody's doing deadlifts and, and squats in front of the class. It's great. This is clearly the influence of CrossFit. I mean, you guys probably don't remember back going to the gyms in the early aughts, their squat rack was in the corner. And I mean, a good gym would have two, two or three. It was just tucked away in the corner. You know, the, the main focal point of the gym was, was the bench press and decline. Like whoever does decline, like what's the point of doing decline? But CrossFit came around and as silly as it is to do 30 clean and jerks in a row, it got people thinking about big compound movements. Um, and I think that's what Jordan Peterson does. But, you know, he, I, I think he just has these fallacies that I've seen come up in the clinic. You know, I've seen firsthand at multiple times, you know, especially this one, that the lobster fallacy. So I guess one of the rules for, his, for how to live a good life is to stand up straight. Okay, yeah, stand up straight. I mean, I don't want you guys to uh, develop any kind of scoliosis or anything. But you stand up straight because we have these dominance hierarchies that go back to lobsters. And if you look at lobsters and how they interact, that there's one huge pyramid. I think it might even be a literal pyramid. And what lobsters do is they fight with each other. Something like to that effect. They fight with each other. And if you win, your serotonin rises when you're a lobster. And this is a good indication of where depression comes from in humans. If you just receive loss after loss, it just sucks the energy out of you. And after a while, your serotonin decreases. And, and I've heard young men on multiple occasions, I mean, I would say seven, eight occasions, in which they say something to the effect of taking a loss is bad, getting a quote, you know, social defeat is bad, like getting rejected by a girl. 
right? That's bad. That's something I want to avoid because I don't want to end up like those lobsters on the bottom of, of the huge giant lobster pyramid uh, on the top of which I know you, you probably get mating opportunities, better access to food, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I don't want to end up like those bottom rung lobsters. So what's the implication there? I know Jordan Peterson doesn't say this, but this is the problem when you look at life as a bunch of rules, not principles. The implication is you need to avoid defeat. The implication is you need to avoid losses. That can be a problem. Otherwise, it permanently damages, you know, serotonin. Uh, is serotonin, uh, you know, proper use of serotonin in your brain let's say and you're going to start to walk around with slumped shoulders so what you do is you stand up straight and then your serotonin rises this is probably all based on now that i'm th talking this out god so this is probably all based on the power pose research that was debunked right before job interview you just look like wonder woman you know as of, co of course uh, uh <laughs> research from a woman so she says you gotta look like wonder woman and they're gonna do better the job interview that turned out to not be true something that I talk about in my article on my blog, which I don't post on anymore because it's not 2014. <laughs> but the uh, article on my blog, you know, the problems with psychological research, you know, re really defining variables. You got to define constructs. Of course, the one construct that is pretty hardy, I guess you could say, IQ, we don't want to look at for obviously political reasons and in that one discussion of IQ, you have a lot, not everything wrong, but a lot wrong with modern psychology and so modern therapy. So you got to stand up straight if you've uh, suffered a lot of defeat because this helps, uh, you know, give you proper serotonin levels, whatever that means. So you're not depressed anymore. So you can uh, get some wins and get some chicks is the idea. Um, Except, except, uh, Dr. Peterson, we are not lobsters. <laughs> I don't know. And there is a huge mistake in primate research and taking this primate research and applying it to humans back in the 70s and the 80s. There's this huge mistake of studying chimps or studying bonomos, you know, famously from Dr. Sapolsky, who's somebody who I really admire and I think he's done a lot of good, but... You know, some of his uh, primate research, you know, looking at cortisol and, and what social dominance does to your cortisol levels in, what, what was it, chimps, gorillas, whatever. It, it ultimately doesn't matter. So you would look at, you know, some pack of, of chimps, let's say. And the males who were lower on the social dominance hierarchy, they had higher levels of cortisol. And of course, he would use this, I would disagree with a lot of what he says politically, but he would use this to, in a sense, justify his political views and say, oh, look, when, when people are low on the social hierarchy, yeah, I mean, it, it just gives them poor, poor health. Just by, just take out all other, other factors, just by dint of them being low on the social hierarchy, it's more stressful. Look, their cortisol re uh, levels are higher. If, if I look at these dominant chimps, these dominant gorillas, they have lower cortisol levels. You know, they have much, stress, much more stress-free life. So um, this is, I, I'm not, I don't want to criticize Dr. Zabolski because if, if, I think he's a great guy to listen to. If you just want to know more about psychology, of psychological facts in general. Again, not a coherent view of what psychology is, but if you want to go to the facts, go to Dr. Sapolsky.
they actually have these great lectures on, on YouTube. Uh, and, you know, I, th I think Stanford just puts them up for free, so it's really great. Except we're not even, yeah, we're not lobsters. My, my point in saying this is we're not even chimps. We're not even gorillas. A, a cousin, a somewhat close cousin. Of course, we're not even bonobos. Um, turns out that cortisol doesn't come, or, or higher cortisol levels doesn't necessarily come from being uh, lower in the social hierarchy. Depression in humans does not come from being lower in the social hierarchy. Where does it come from? Predominantly. I mean, yes, you know, being socially dominant, that can be helpful. But again, I, I liken that to the keystone in the arch. You know, that's just the keystone that's there. It's nice. But what are the, the supports? What are those? What are the other blocks in the arch? I, I forget what they're called. What are the, those other blocks, those supports that hold the keystone in place is connection. Is how well connected you are and it turns out that at least in humans this is way more beneficial for low cortisol you know having uh, well let's just say well used efficiently used serotonin in your brain connection not being isolated depression is not a disease it's not a disease it's not a disorder of low social hierarchy in humans is it's a disorder of isolation it's a disorder of disconnection and I really dislike I, I mean maybe Dr. Peterson clarifies this in his book but at least the guys I talk to they don't get this message at all I really dislike the idea that there's one social hierarchy for lobsters maybe there is but for humans there is not there's multiple. I, I think I discussed this. What was it last week? I bring it up every so often. But we get so, especially young men, they get so bogged down by, uh, yeah, social dominance, got to be alpha, can't be beta, you know, all this. I, I mean, essentially, it's anxiety. Essentially, it's a way to criticize yourself. It's just one more way for you to criticize yourself. It's not learning about. Uh, lobsters or gorillas or chimps necessarily that's making you think like this I mean learning about it aggravates the anxiety and it, I mean in a sense it gives you an, an extra whip to, to whip yourself with an extra club to like you know just uh, bludgeon your skull with but it's not the root of the problem that we go on and think yeah if I could just <clears throat> you know whatever it is be alpha not be beta but the thing is, with, with humans, there's just so many different kinds of social hierarchies. Like I was saying, yeah, I think it was my presentation last week. If, uh, you know, if you're built like David Cross and you look like David Cross, uh, yeah, don't uh, go to a powerlifting competition to achieve social status. It may not work for you. Now, you know, that's a good thing to incorporate into your life. You know, just to, to be stronger, of course, is going to help you. But why don't you go hang out at your local, you know, gaming store or something where you're comfortable and having a lot of fun? There, there's a, a, a whole other social hierarchy pyramid in there. And that's not, it's not even about being dominant, but like, obviously, women will see you having fun and being who you are. And, and you're going to be much more likely to do a lot better for yourself. And you're probably going to find a girl who is a better fit for you at a gaming convention than at a powerlifting competition. So, why was I saying this? Yeah, because 
right now when it comes to psychology, we just have rules. Rules by which you live your life, not principles by which psychology or through which psychology works. Principles on which psychology is based and therefore therapy is based. Nobody's talking about this. And this goes back to what I was saying in the first 30 seconds. I mean, and, and psychologists, you know, e even good psychologists like Jordan Peterson, who I, I disagree with a lot, but I mean, given the, uh, you know, put in the context of modern psychology, says a lot of good things. Says a lot of good things. Um, and I guess this leads into the topic we want to talk about today because uh, this is based on a question that I got. This listener was listening to somebody else talk about psychology. How dare you? How dare you listen to somebody else talk about psychology? Hold on. I need to take a uh, sip of coffee here. Um... Yeah, so he was listening to somebody else talk about psychology, a therapist, and she was saying that psychotherapists need at minimum, minimum nine years of training to be good therapists. My, and the question that I got from him was, in a sense, uh, is this true? Wait, how, whoa, where are my notes here? I have this question printed out, and then I have my notes interspersed with the question, so it's kind of confusing. That would be my fault. Well, it doesn't matter. I, I, I think I know what I, I want to say. So, yeah, she, in a sense, this therapist says, yeah, you need to spend a lot of time. I, I guess what she's saying is that the, 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 um, the amount of time that that therapist's been in training now, it's not enough. Because uh, you, you have to have at least four years of training. I've I've had four years of training though. I mean, what does she mean by years? <laughs> I mean, if we're just going in years, I've definitely had four years of training, um, more than that. Um, but is this true? I mean, do you really need to to spend this much time in therapy? Yeah, sorry, I'm thinking about something else now. Uh, and um, I I think it can be helpful to spend more time training, but also. Uh, I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, that adage of practice makes perfect. You know, it's actually not true. It's uh, <clears throat> the, the new adage that's been around for a while, long enough to call it an, an, an adage is, <clears throat> yeah, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And I think that's something that uh, therapy, modern therapy lacks, psychology lacks, is this concept of perfection or this concept of being based on first principles, without which there wouldn't be psychology in the first place. There, there wouldn't be therapy by extension in the first place. I mean, so yeah, time spent training to be a therapist is mostly a red herring, right? It's, it's just a distraction. It, it's a distraction from, I guess you could say, the philosophical bankruptcy of modern of modern psychology the philosophical bankruptcy that that leads somebody like Jung who or like excuse me like like Jordan Peterson who's read a lot of Jung and is getting young guys to read Jung somebody who by comparison isn't that philosophically bankrupt you know if we're going to compare him to other psychologists but he still is you know uh, he, I, I haven't read his, his book on um, like, like his main book his textbook that he wrote but I know he doesn't reference Aristotle. I know he references a lot of Kant. Right? Um, 
Yeah. Like, I mean, I think a good analogy here is, um, I mean, let's just take another feel. Like, like how much training do you need to be a civil engineer? I mean, clearly there's a there's some kind of uh, time you need to spend going to school, uh, learning about civil engineering. If we're going to let you go out and design a bridge, I mean, that makes sense. I I mean, to, to put it in context of time, but it, the time isn't as important. Nobody's stressing. Oh, you gotta you know be spend at least nine years in school to be a civil engineer. Why? You know, is it because civil engineering is less important or doesn't matter as much or it's easier? No, I, we, we know that's not the case. It's clearly not easier than being a therapist or being a psychologist, the easiest job in the world. Um, but uh, we don't need to stress this for civil engineering because, you know, there's, yeah, there's these things called like math and, and, and principles and there's principles of math and physics, and you learn calculus, and, and you learn tensions, and, and, and you learn, you know, how much um, <coughs> weight certain materials can bear, and you kind of put this all together. You learn these principles, and once you get these principles, and it's clear you're able to apply them, you know, you can really wrap your mind around them. Like, I'm sure there are some tests, a good civil engineering test to, to decide or discern whether you're going to build a bridge that's going to collapse. You know, once you can do this, then... We don't care so much. We don't care so much about the amount of time um, you spend in therapy, or you spend in training to be a civil engineer. I mean, if civil engineer training was run the way that therapy training is, what you would do is study a lot, a lot of, of famous examples of, let's say you're going to build bridges, just to make it simpler. You study a lot of examples of bridges, but you don't learn what makes a bridge stand up. You may study the design, you may study the context in which it was used or the context in which it was built, um, but, but you don't study the, the design because you know, we're learning civil engineering in the context of there being no math or physics, you know, no first principles for building a bridge that stands. Um, and then maybe if you study enough bridges, this is if civil engineering was like therapy training. So maybe if you study enough bridges and, and study enough designs, you, oh, and then, then you have experience from your own life. You have experience of building a bridge and it not really working, it kind of collapsed. So you have to develop your own theory. Each individual, each person develops their own theory of why their bridge that they did try to build up, there's some bridge testing site try to build a bridge and it collapsed. So you have to develop your own theory about why that collapsed and then apply it to, and, or compare it, apply it to other bridges that haven't collapsed. Uh, and then from there, you're kind of supposed to feel your way into what makes a bridge not collapse and what makes a bridge collapse. But you can't reduce it to first principles. You just kind of get a feeling based on your own experience, based on your own lived experience, about what makes a bridge not collapse. Um, yeah, so you just study the surface. You study the surface of what's going on. Uh, you, you know, you may study the history of the people who built bridges that have done very well. But there's no fundamental principles there. And obviously, we wouldn't be too surprised in that context. We wouldn't be too surprised if there was an issue with bridges collapsing. Just like we shouldn't be too surprised when this is how we treat therapy training. 
And we have people coming out and saying, no, you got to spend nine years in therapy. Why are you saying that? You are admitting that there aren't first principles to therapy, to psychology. You're admitting, in a sense, you don't know what psychology is. And because you don't know what psychology is, you're afraid. So like, oh, we, we just got to spend nine years in training to be a therapist. That's your admission. You don't know you're admitting that because you're stupid, but that is what you are admitting. Um, what, what this therapist, I guess, I think it was a she, yeah, what this therapist means in a sense is learn the different schools of therapy. We're not going to talk about where they come from, you know, the analogy carries. We're just going to discuss who came up with them, maybe why they came up with them, what context they are working in at the time, maybe what a psychotherapy lacked at the time, what, what this individual noticed that they lacked at the time, what, what psych the psychotherapy lacked at the time. And so, yeah, some context in which they developed these theories. Uh, but we're not going to dig into why one theory may be philosophically better than another because, I mean, geez, then you have to have discussions about what it means to be a human, what, uh, what it means to live a good life, there needs to be some consensus on that, and we can't have that anymore because we can't even get past the multiculturalism discussion. So you can't even have that. Um, so you learn something like, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy. You learn a, a humanistic approach in which I was uh, trained the most. You learn something like rational emotive behavioral therapy, you know, critical race theory, of course. You, you may even learn a psychodynamic approach. Most schools you won't. I mean, I was lucky enough to go to a school where I was able to take classes in Jung. Uh, now, I don't think it really counted towards my degree or anything, <laughs> but uh, they, they were good classes, and it was just really great to to just sit down with a, with a psychologist who was a Jungian and just you know, really listen to him and pick his brain and see where he's coming from and see how he approaches it. It was just super helpful and and obviously, of course, I, I got along with that guy. It was really great. Um, so you learn from all these different approaches and then, yeah, you kind of integrate your own experience. I mean, you look at in, in your life and you looked at in where maybe things didn't work out so well for you and how does this apply to you know this all this plethora of of um, not ideas, but just facts about psychology and, and how to treat a therapist in the clinic. So you just kind of do this, um, it all kind of combines together in some nebulous way. That's why it needs to be at least nine years. That's why this therapist is going on on the record saying you have to be in, in training for nine years because there, there's really no principles. So it's this nebulous, nebulous thing and it makes sense when you go to a therapist now, the bridge collapses in a sense. You go there and you feel worse, or you go there and you're learning hurtful ideas. You don't know you're learning hurtful ideas until you come to me and I go, uh, that's not true. That's a really poor way <laughs> to, to address this issue. This is making it worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Even if you learn all these different approaches and, and, and you know, read all these great books from all these great uh, psychologists who, I'm not saying they're dumb, uh, but unless you approach the, the topic in the right way, you're going to end up looking dumb. You're going to end up, you know, having like deal breaker ideas that even if you've been in training for nine years, 19 years, 29 years, it doesn't matter. You're not going to suss out some of these deal breaker ideas, you know, like a few of them, obviously. The main one is therapists will, will be in training for, 
you know, have more training than I've had. Um, yet you talk to them and they still, they won't come right out and say it, but if you talk with them enough, it's, it's implied in their answer. They just think that emotions are irrational. I mean, if you don't think emotions have a specific structure, if you don't think there is a specific, first of all, a specific thing that emotions are, there's this huge conflation between emotions and feelings, which we, if we can't even get by that. We're not, we're not going to talk about emotions in a healthy way. So there's a huge conflation. Emotions are feelings. Feelings are emotions. But if there's no structure, if there's no way they operate, if we can't even define what an emotion is, then by definition what you say is emotions are irrational. So in the clinic, it doesn't matter how much experience you have, you come at it from the perspective of, of, of emotions are irrational. How well is some guy going to help you? with emotions, even if he has tons of experience. I mean, and that could help. You know, it can help to look at a bunch of different bridges and, and note like the, the, the cornices on certain Roman bridges. I don't know, that that could help. Um, but um, yeah, and look, by doing that, you may get to some principles of bridge building. Like if you look at a Greek bridge versus a Roman bridge, there's probably more arches in a Roman bridge. And you notice that the, the columns are spaced further apart. So you go, hmm. Maybe an arch means I need fewer columns. Now, I can't do the math or anything to decide exactly what that is, but if I build a bridge with an arch, maybe I can use less material. So you can develop you know, some in intuitions that can help you to build bridges better, at least more efficiently, just by s looking at a bunch of bridges. And that's what you can do if you, you, you know, make your way through uh, um, like a whatever, a CBT textbook or, or, or whatever book on critical race theory that at least pushes those ideas. You can kind of combine these and if you're smart you can, you can start to figure stuff out. Uh, but again, we're not, we're not looking at, at first principles. Um, yeah, so, <clears throat> so you learn these approaches, you kind of integrate your experience, um, but there can still be deal breakers, right? Like, Emotions are irrational. Well, look, you're, I don't care how much training, how many fancy degrees your therapist has on the wall. If he thinks that emotions are irrational on some level, he's just not going to be able to help you very much. It could still be helpful. The therapy could still be helpful. I mean, look, it's great to go somewhere and talk to somebody in a confidential setting about what's going on, but is the therapy really going to be as helpful as it ultimately needs to be, which is, of course, to put you in a process through which you know you're going to be able to manage your issues and you know exactly why or a, a process in which you don't need to believe in yourself anymore you don't have to believe in anything just know that this is the facts of reality that you have this issue this is how it works this is exactly where it comes from you can describe it in 50 different ways and here's exactly how you were able to work through it now if you don't want to work through it if you want to hold on to that issue because it's yours and it's been yours for a while and you have all this great resentment around it and it feels really good, then don't work on it. You don't have to do anything. But if that issue gets you into problems, and it might not, to be honest, that issue might not get you into problems if it's small enough or it's not really related to anything else in, in your life. I mean, typically that's not the case, but, but if you can get away with it, then, then don't work on it. But if it's causing you problems and you get to the point where you're ready to change, where you realize, oh, I'm actually going to die one day. Or, oh, I'm not going to have the relationships that I want in my life. Or, 
life doesn't need to be this difficult. Why, why am I stressed out all the time? On the surface, everything is fine, but life doesn't need to be this difficult. And it get, becomes painful enough, then you know exactly what to do. And you know exactly what to do, yet not only to, to work through the issue, but you know exactly the principles behind why this works. Like I say, do you have to believe in yourself? No, of course not. Again, that's another distraction, another red herring. And obviously any kind of critical race theory, which you really... I, I mean, it, it's at the point now, I mean, the latest grad school that I attended, I mean, it, it was at the point where if you were white and you did not, in, like, there's no way that they are going to pass you if you're white and you didn't admit that you had white privilege and all that entails. I'm not saying it's not easier to be white. Of course, it's easier to be white. It's easier to be a certain race. It's easier to be good looking. It's easier to be tall. It's easier to have hair. It's easier to, uh, well, not come from a wealthy background. That's not necessarily true. It's easier to, to be, be from a family where nobody's bipolar or, or nobody has an alcohol or, or drug abuse addiction. Of course, these things make it easier, but, but, it, but does it really give you privilege? And what's the difference? I mean, what's the exact difference between uh, having an easy life and having a privileged life? Can we distinguish that? But it's getting to the point now, um, and this is, um, I can't say too much about it because I, I signed certain papers saying that I won't. Well, let me just say that it's getting to a point now in academia where if you're white and, you're, and you want to be a therapist, if you don't admit that you have white privilege, they're not going to pass you. Now, it's not going to say in the paper, oh, it's because he, he didn't admit that he has white privilege. It's gonna, they're, they're going to come up with something else, right? Because it's, it's easier for them. It's less of a controversy if they come up with some other reason. And they'll, they'll come up with some other reason and they don't really have to to provide much justification for it. If they don't think that you're gonna be a good therapist or good psychologist, they don't need to pass you. And they need to give, I think, some reason, but you'd be surprised how little of a reason they need to give. Okay, so any element of critical race theory in your therapist's mind that he hasn't fully uh, extirpated, I think that's the word that fits there, he hasn't fully extirpated, that's gonna be a deal breaker. You know, because now your life isn't about you and how you relate with reality. It's you and your culture. It's you and your culture. It's you and your skin color that you invariably can't get out of and how this influences everything. Now, now you're not dealing with the issue for what it is. You're not dealing with the anxiety, for instance, for what it is. You're dealing with some other aspect, some other distraction that may be influential in some degree. I'm not, not saying it's not, but is it fundamental? Um... Something else that you can go through decades of therapy training and still not talk about, uh, still not, you know, be referenced by you or your supervisor or anything is the difference between pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain. I mean, I was appalled by how many other therapists working with alcoholics and drug addicts think that alcoholics and drug addicts use the alcohol or drugs because it feels good. And if you just have, yeah, just e even a splinter of that in your mind, it, you know, it, it could just radiate out and affect everything ne negatively. Um, what other, what other just total deal, deal breakers? There's a bunch. I mean, maybe I'll do a video about it. There's, what other deal breakers are there? Yeah, pleasure, pain avoidance. Um, well, we can stop there. That's fine. We don't have to talk about it too much. 
so what do we do now in therapy? I mean, what's the, the emphasis? And this is from good therapists. <clears throat> they say the growth, the growth that the client needs in therapy, this is ultimately going to come from the relationship, the relationship with the therapist. Now, the implication there, um, I made a tweet about this this week that nobody liked, but the implication there is you are holding the client hostage. You're saying you need to relate with me or you need to relate with some therapist for the implication is an extended amount of time, otherwise you're not going to get better. You need us. They're creating job security by saying that the, the, the growth, the health of the client depends ultimately on creating a, a healthy relationship with the therapist. Now it turns out that this is a red herring too. I mean, this is like big, big, uh, the, the thing to say in therapy, you know, 18 months ago, but that turned out to really not be true anymore. Obviously the, the relationship with the therapist can help, but there's something else going on. There's something else going on that, yeah, the relationship matters, but there cannot be a great relationship and still be growth, or there can be a great relationship and no growth. Hmm, maybe some relationships are a little bit different than others. Maybe some relationships speak to issues more, speak to more, fundament more fundamental issues than others do. Oh, maybe some relationships hint at what these fundamental principles are in, in psychology, but again, we don't have the epistemology to go there, so we won't. Um, and yeah, in a sense, like the the gif is uh, Kathy Bates in misery. You know, um, you need me. I've I've actually never seen the movie, so I don't really understand the context. But it seems like you're holding this client hostage. You're holding this patient hostage. You're saying we need to develop a real. We need to be friends. Be my friend. We need to be friends so you can go on and and live a healthy life and develop relationships. You know, like like the the skills you learn. And there's some. I, I can imagine there being some truth to this. Like the skills you learn in this uh, therapist client dyad. These relationship skills. You take these skills and you go on and and create relationships outside of therapy. That's true, but how about we demarcate exactly what is going on in that relationship? Exactly what you need, exactly, really, the emotional regulation you need not to relate with the therapist, that's sad, but to go out and relate, to have a relationship with people. You work on yourself enough and the relationships with other people, that, that comes naturally. Do you necessarily need a good relationship with the therapist? No, that's awful, and it's awful. I mean, it's completely debilitating to base therapy on that, on that idea that you need to find a therapist who you jive with, who has good vibes. You know, so you essentially need to find a therapist who could potentially be your friend to get good therapy. That's, that's awful. If I want a bridge built, I don't want somebody who's going to be a good friend. Now, if they are, that's cool, you know, and we can, like, go uh, hang out at the bar afterwards. But I want to find a therapist, I want to find a bridge builder who can build an MF and bridge. The friends thing, that is not even secondary, tertiary. But we need bridges. We need therapy. We need some process in, in, um, in, um, we need some process in society through which we can become more emotionally stable. Without that, you're going to have something crazy happen like society split apart over <laughs> whether to take some kind of uh, medication, whether to have some kind of medical intervention. Um, now it's raining. That's cool. 
you know, if we don't have a, a process through which we can manage our emotions in a projectable way, through which we can get better, if we engage in this process, then yeah, society, you can't have a civilization. A civilization is nothing but a group of individuals. That's all civilization is. But if you don't have people in that society that are individual, unable to be divided within themselves, then they're going to divide amongst others and it's going to potentially be a huge mess. Um, so that's why this lady is saying that you need nine years of therapy. That's all the way of saying that. And then the second question is, okay, we're going to wrap this up. This won't take that as long. The second question is, uh, so the, this idea that um, you need nine years of therapy, that contradicts my idea of group. Is, and my idea of group is you don't need experience at all. In fact, you don't even need somebody to run the group. You need principles through which the group is run, but you don't need a therapist there to run the group. Now, in my group, I do go, not all the time, but I am there sometimes if you want to ask me a question or run something by me. I think it's just helpful to have that, especially, you know, at certain stages of the growth process. Um, yeah, so if a therapist needs nine years of training, <laughs> then this lady would disagree with your idea of group. Of course she would disagree with it. But, uh, yeah, you don't need tons of training. You need to understand what emotions are. You need to understand how they work. And because emotions are this way, and because they work in this way, then this is exactly how we talk through them. You don't need to be some genius to get this. You don't have to be that smart. I mean, if you have three or four brain cells to, to rub together, you can understand what I'm talking about and go, okay, so here's my issue. Here's how I process my issue. Here's exactly how, I, yeah, process it. Here's how I become aware of it. Here's how I integrate my issue into my life and in my conscious life in a healthy way. I'm just saying the same thing in a different way. Oh, so then I can just go to this group and part of what I do here is relate to what other guys are going through and this helps me to become more aware of it. You know, this gives me more resources through which I can process, become aware of what my fundamental issue is. Guess what? You don't need a therapist there running the group. Uh, guess, guess what else happens is therapists, based on this, based on this idea, they become less important. Hmm. That's a real bummer. They don't matter as much. They're more... Yeah, I mean, their power in society greatly diminishes. They're, they're not these shamans that a lot of therapists think that they are or want to be. They're, they're not these shamans who, uh, you know, have some esoteric knowledge, that, that, you know, some esoteric access to some spirit world that only they have access to, it, and you need to go to the specific shaman to get this information. Now, I don't think any therapist would openly admit this, but this is, I mean, this is what, what this lady's admitting by saying that you need nine years of training to be a therapist. This is what she's admitting. She's saying, I want to be special. I want society to look to me. No, because I went through nine years of training, she probably went through at least nine years. And she's trying to like justify it to herself, which a lot of people do. A lot of therapists and psychologists do. She's just trying to justify her existence. This is me psychoanalyzing her. Take this with a grain of salt. She's trying to justify her existence and by saying, oh, no, you got to go to ther uh, therapy for nine years. Yeah, so... Um, so when I diagnose Trump, is what she's saying. And again, I'm not a Trump supporter, but she's just crazy. It's absolutely nuts. It's nuts. And sometimes I, I, I when you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, you know, the, the APA, it's it's off the deep end. And but a bunch of, you know, a couple of years ago, just a bunch of therapists were uh, diagnosing. I mean, it wasn't an official diagnosis, but like signing some paper saying, yeah, like, yes, Trump is a narcissist. He has all these qualities. The fact that they're diagnosing somebody they have not met with, 
personally in, in the clinical setting is just baffling absolutely baffling these are the people I need training from I mean it, it was helpful for me because I mean this getting training from these crazy people it helped me uh, yeah so so look I don't think that group needs to be run by a specific therapist but yeah like I said there need to be principles through which a group is one and I think one of those principles one of those those rules that is just uh, non-negotiable is no politics no politics in the group if there's a political issue that upsets you and you want to talk about it that's fine you can mention it but do it in an ambiguous way do it in a nebulous way so people don't know your view on it because guess what your view doesn't matter it actually doesn't matter in the context of therapy in the context of psychology you know if this is philosophy if we're holding court um, if, if these views are on trial then yes then it matters but in the context of your psychological health your views actually don't matter well that's a real bummer has may, may have a lot of uh, self-importance placed on on what your views are and how you're more right than everybody else I actually got this idea because I was I wasn't running the group but I was shadowing a group with my supervisor and it was you know you could just imagine that like some Upper West Side group uh, a bunch of but a bunch of uh, aging boomers and they started talking about Nixon or Vietnam or something and they started to get really upset and there was a lot of fervor in the group and they're all agreeing with each other and oh yeah Nixon this is so bad and uh, societies you know we're still going in that direction look at how bad society is look at how good we are look at how smart we were in the 60s and 70s uh, and my and my supervisor after the group goes, well, that was great. That was run really well. I forget exactly what he says, but how oh, that was great. That was really productive. I think productive was the word that he used. And I'm sitting there thinking that was the least productive. I think it was 75 minutes. That was the least productive 75 minutes of my life. Just a bunch of uh, aging boomers complaining about Nixon. You know, 40 years after, or now 50 years. 45 years probably was at the time after the fact nobody's talking about their issues yeah i mean everybody's agreeing and everybody's getting along and like they're getting really chummy with each other uh, but um you're not processing your issues you're complaining about nixon 45 years after the fact this is a travesty this is an absolute travesty i can't believe you don't see it so yeah i mean if you're really smart then you can get really bad therapy training and still end up a good therapist because you understand what it takes to to have a field what it takes to even have a sustainable field in the first place um so uh yeah i guess uh what the what we're talking about here is um hmm, what i want to say in sum yes there needs to be some kind of proper training for therapists that is something that needs to happen based on principles of what therapy training is if I was the king of the APA and I had to run everything I would still have some kind of therapy training um, I'm not sure how I would run it I mean it wouldn't be as long as you don't need to go for nine years uh, I would have some kind of 
Yeah, you know, just learn these principles and uh, it's going to be, sub I was trying to think that how to take all subjectivity out of it. Uh, there's going to be some subjectivity because you learn these principles and then you apply them in the clinic and then some guy has to look at you and just kind of give you a pass and there's going to be some subjectivity there like how well are you really in applying these principles here's what you could have said I mean obviously that's going to be great discussion and look I, I got a lot of benefit from my training I don't think it was necessarily or I don't think it was necessarily necessary but I did get a lot of benefit but you know you get a lot of benefit from doing lots of things um you know, my, my favorite supervisor, I, I don't want to admit this too often, but, but my uh, supervisor that's helped me the most is Jung. You know, he's going through the, these Jung books and, talk, and hearing how he deals with clients, what he talks about, his takeaway from what specific people say, just kind of using that, you know, just putting each one of those facts in my brain and it just kind of coagulates into, this is a good way to be in therapy or this is a good way to apply these principles in therapy. Um, so yeah, I mean, guess what I'm trying to say, the takeaway here is, yes, therapist training is important, but once we realize that therapy has principles because psychology has principles, therapy training still matters, but what matters uh, just as much, I think, perhaps more, is training of the client. Getting the client to see what the therapy process is, how it works, and once they understand that, then they can go to any therapist. It doesn't matter anymore. All right, it just shifts the power. It completely shifts the power, the power dynamic and, and the way that therapy is run now that makes it completely unhelpful. It shifts that. So now the client becomes the one in charge. The client becomes the one who says, okay, I have this issue. Um, here's what I need to do to figure out what my issue is. And once I understand what it is, here's all the different ways I can articulate it and once I do that, here's all the different ways I can work through it. And of course, you got to go to a therapist because you can't just write this stuff down. And obviously, you don't talk to a friend or family member about this because a lot of your issues that you have yet to process is about them. Now, once you process them in therapy, and you'll know when you do, once you process them, then you can bring it up to those people because then that's just how you create a relationship. That's how you create a connection with somebody. Um, so yeah, what, what we're doing here is, is, is shifting the power dynamic ultimately by putting the emphasis on, on the client, on the client and, and what the client needs, what the client needs to get good therapy, not so much what a therapist needs to bestow, bestow, uh, yeah, that's a good word, to bestow therapy on to a client. And that's what we work on here. That's what we can help you figure out. Um, we do free consultations, animusempire.com slash schedule if you want to find out more. Um, find out how we can specifically help you. Um, see if the kind of therapy that we do will, will be helpful for you. Spoiler, it probably will be because we're doing something that nobody else does. But you don't need me to do it. I am an okay therapist. I'm okay. Yeah, whatever. It could be a lot better. It could be a lot worse. But my ideas, my ideas for therapy and how to, and how therapy works, that's that's what's really helpful. And I want to give you specifically what those are, so you can, you know, whatever situation, like I, I say something like this in my book, whatever situation you happen to be in, you always know. You know, like you know, like you know, you'll be able to get help, rely fully 
on your inner resources, everything within your boundary. All right, guys. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And remember to get good therapy. You don't need a good therapist so much. Rather, you need to understand exactly what therapy is.